Jonah. I'm going to read out of the Amplified. We're going to start with verse 1. I'm just going to read the whole first chapter, and then we'll move on. Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord as his prophet, and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, the most remote of the Phoenician trading places then known. So he paid the appointed fare and went down into the ship to go with him to Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord as his servant and minister. But the Lord sent out a great wind upon the sea, and there was a violent tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken. The mariners were afraid, and each man cried to his God, and they cast the goods that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. How many times do we sleep in the middle of a storm? Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call upon your God. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us so that we shall not perish. They didn't care which God delivered them. They just wanted a God to deliver them. Verse 7. And they each one said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. In other words, they gambled to figure out who this was and found out it was Jonah. Verse 8. And then they said to him, Tell us, we pray you, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where did you come from? And what is your country and nationality? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I reverently fear and worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he fled from being in the presence of the Lord as his prophet and servant because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may subside and calm for us? For the sea became more and more violent and tempestuous. And Jonah said to them, Take me up, cast me into the sea, so shall the sea become calm for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship to the land, but they could not, for the sea became more and more violent against them. Therefore they cried to the Lord, We beseech you, O Lord, we beseech you, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. I'm going to stop here for just a half second. Think about that. He is a man of God. How many of you have ever had a rebellious moment in your walk with God? 
Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Some did anyway. He's having a rebellious moment. He's doing it his way. Those around him are being affected by what's happening to him. And so they're curious. They're calling on any God who can save them. And as they try to figure out who's caused this problem, they figure out it's Jonah. He explains to them who he is. He explains to them why this has come upon them. And yet they try to have mercy on him. They try to spare his life. And they have come to the place where they're calling upon his God. The thing he should be doing, they are doing. He's fighting his God and they're receiving his God. Think about that. They're, he's fighting his God and they're receiving his God. The only thing they figure they can do is toss him overboard, put him in the hands of an angry God, and pray that he doesn't hold it against them for doing so. So they took up Jonah, verse 15, and cast him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and then the men reverently and worshipfully feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Think about that. In the middle of his rebellion, in the middle of him being the man who should be leading the way and pointing the way to his God, he's the one who's being rebellious. And can I say it this way? He's being a butthead. He's being a butthead. And while being a butthead, the people around him, because of God's shaking the situation violently, come to the Lord. They get fearful of God in a reverent way, and they come to God, and they make sacrifices to him, the thing that Jonah should be doing. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared and appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I'm going to go one more verse, which I didn't tell uh, the, the crew back there. Verse in chapter 2, then, after all of this, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. I ask, Father, that you'd help me to be able to share what's in my heart, what's in your word, and your desire for this group of people today. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Look at your watch. Grown real big. Get it over with. Here we go. So when God calls in our life, if you've determined you're going to serve God, understand this. If you're going to serve God, he may very well, in fact, I just know for a fact, he's going to ask you somewhere along the line to do something that might be a little bit difficult that you may not want to do. Who can say amen to that? How many the Lord asked you to do something that was totally embarrassing, backwards, upside down for you? Yeah. So when God calls, it isn't always what you desire. Oftentimes, it's not what I desire at all. For years, I wrestled with, 
I love music. I love singing. You know what my dream was? My dream was, was to have a musical family and to travel this nation on a tour bus. That was my dream of ministry. But how many understand that God's not interested in my wants, but his wants? How many understand that what I want is insignificant to the kingdom? What he wants is everything about the kingdom. And so I remember, I remember several times in my lifetime of being offered an associate pastor job or the youth minister job. And because I was traveling and singing, I didn't want to give it up. I just, I just refused everywhere we went. I just told those men uh, that, you know, God's got better things for me to do. <laughs> and because I, I held that close to my heart, I never felt like I was against God, but I wasn't exactly listening real close. And God will get your attention if he needs your attention. And finally, the bookings all just dried up, and there was no place to sing. And we landed in a church over in Independence, and we began to serve there, began to grow there, began to change and, and, and develop there, become more mature in our walk with Christ. And pretty soon, that pastor came and asked me to be the associate pastor. Now you would think the light bulb went on in my mind that told me, hey, this is, this is God. This is the right thing. But what really went off in my spirit, can I be honest with you, what really went off in my spirit was, I'll do this for a little while, I'll make Jesus happy, and then he'll let me go sing again. Come on, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. But what happened was, as I fulfilled that position, I fulfilled that call, and in receiving that call, I found out something. I love people, and I love to see people grow, and I love to see people get to that place where the light comes on, and where once they were struggling in their spiritual walk, now all of a sudden they're not. And I like challenging people to grow from where they are to the next place. And I like trying to develop the gifts that I see in someone else. And the more I leaned into what God wanted me to do, the more fulfilled my life became. Trying to fill it with the things that pleased me didn't do me a whole lot of good. But filling it with the things that God wanted for me to do made my life full and complete and whole. And Jonah's in a, a, a precarious situation here because he's being asked to go in a direction he doesn't want to go. I'm going to let that hang in the air for a minute. Have you ever been asked by God to go in a direction you didn't necessarily want to go? I'm living proof of that. Usually you're asked to help a people that you have no common interest with. When Pastor Colleen and I were released from being associate pastors and began to become senior pastors of our own work, the first people that we pastored who came through our doors was troubled teenagers, just a handful of adults, but a lot of troubled teenagers who were messing with Wicca witchcraft. And their lives were a shamble and upside down and very, very dark. And they would sit outside of the church and they would, 
they would chant and they would try to disrupt the service because they hadn't met Christ yet, but they were coming because there was one influential young man whose parents were dragging him into church. I'd have guest speakers come in and preach for me and never come back to preach again because they said they felt the hair stand up on the back of their neck during our services. There was an obstinate spirit fighting us. But we kept on preaching. We kept on loving. We kept on reaching. I had nothing in common with this because I had been a Christian from the time I was eight years old. I've known the Lord all my life. So I had nothing in common with the darkness of these young people's world. Yet I knew greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we kept loving them and kept preaching to them. And one by one, they began to come into the kingdom. And not just come into the kingdom, but they were getting baptized in the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. And they began to shed all of those things of darkness. And some of them said things that I cannot repeat here. But when they got in with the Holy Ghost, they said, witchcraft isn't beep compared to Christianity. And so the Lord led me there. Then the next place the Lord led us was, was to working with recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. I had never been a drinker or a drugger in my life. And yet the Lord led me there to a people I had no common interest with. And yet our hearts were knit together. And I was able to let the light in me become the light in them because they saw something in me they didn't have in them. And I want to encourage you that if the Lord calls you to something that seems too difficult for you, good, you come, you've landed in the right place. Because God wants to bring something out of you that you don't even know is in you. He wants to be able to use you, and he'll put you in places that you have no knowledge of, no ability in to prove to you he is God through you. Mm-hmm. I told you this would be short. So it's often in a direction you do not desire to go. And usually you are asked to help people who have no common interest with you. And in Jonah's case, he was arrogant and prejudiced and refused God's request. Pastor Colleen and I could have become obstinate about where God was calling us because we really, we really saw things differently. But the way the Lord orchestrated the ministry, he made it grow out of the things that we didn't really want to wrap our arms around. But by wrapping our arms around it with the love of Christ, he was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could do. Do you know we had a period of time in about a year, year and a half, possibly two years, that over 2,500 people got born again in our ministry simply because we wrapped our arms around people we had no common interest with. Mm. So in Jonah's case, though, he was prejudiced. He didn't, you know, the Jews were a little bit high-minded 
because they serve the right God and what they should have been the the evangelists of the world but they really kind of got stuck in their little corner stuck in their ways stuck in their traditions and they didn't reach beyond and oftentimes they would get prejudice about the people around them because they, those people around them served the wrong God well the truth is is they can't serve the right God unless you introduce them to the right God and so in his case he got arrogant and prejudice but it cost him. It cost him. Anytime you set your heart against God, it will cost you. Anytime you take it upon yourself to go your own way and not the way God's asked you to go, you will find yourself in a hardship, in a heartache, in a difficult moment. Can you say amen to that? So look at this. It cost him. It cost him dearly. He's running one direction when God's told him to go another direction. But the problem with that is when you get rebellious and you begin to go in your own direction apart from and away from God, what happens is, is it not only affects you, it affects everyone around you. When I live obstinate to the things that God has called me to do, I have found myself not only miserable, but making everyone around me miserable. Look at this. When we come to Christ, we belong to God. And if we belong to God, we're ordered by God. And we surrender our rights to being sovereign. This is hard for some people to understand in Christianity. They think we pray a simple prayer. We ask Jesus into our heart. And then we go about life. But if that was your experience, you didn't truly get born again. Because truly being born again means everything about me changes. My mind changes. My heart changes. My desire changes. I'm no longer self-willed, but I'm God-willed. Which means sometimes God asks me to do things I don't want to do. Takes me places, Zeke, I don't want to go has me say things in Walmart to people. I'll be minding my own business in Walmart, and the Lord will say, see that person over there? Go pray for them. They're going to think I'm a nut. How many of you have ever been in a position like that? Didn't your mind battle you like crazy in that moment? Didn't your mind just go, they're going to think I'm nuts. They're going to think I'm crazy. They're gonna... And how many times when you did it, you found out it was the right thing? And that person needed you in that moment. But we battle with that. And so oftentimes the Lord will ask us to do something and we take on the Jonah persona because we just kind of get rebellious. We're going to do it our own way. But when you signed up with Jesus, you said, I surrender all. Remember that song we sing, the old hymn of the church? I surrender all. Some of us ought to sing it, I surrender some. Some of us ought to sing it, I surrender none. Because surrender all, what does all mean? All, everything. 
holding nothing back, Lord, whatever you want in my life, that's what you are entitled to. My possessions, my house, my land, whatever I have, God, is yours. My heart, my will, my emotions, which is the thing that he's most after. It all belongs to you. And whatever you want, that's what I want to give. Amen? So, let me hurry. So, if you belong to God, you should be ordered by God and understand that you've lost your rights to be sovereign. And when we give over everything about our life to pick up God's mantle or calling to walk out the life he has ordered for us to live as he pleases, our life becomes a life worth living. And we give our everything over to him. As in the case with Jonah, when we refuse God direct, God's directives and refuse his mission, we place ourselves in direct opposition to God. And here's the problem with the stand that Jonah made. In telling God no, he undervalued a group of people that God is concerned about. Think about that. When you refuse God when he pulls at you in Walmart, you're saying that person ain't worth it, Lord. When you know you should say something to the guy you're working with and, and you don't, and you don't take that opportunity, you oftentimes set yourself up to, to saying in a rebellious act, that person isn't worth my time. I know sometimes timidity will come and try to get on us, but the word tells us that ours is not a spirit of timidity, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And so often when we're put into this, this position where we decide that this isn't worth my time, this isn't worth my effort, this isn't worth whatever God's asked me to do, and I, I go the opposite direction, what I'm doing is I'm deeming those persons unworthy of God. I was worthy. I feel good about me, but I deem them unworthy because they dress different, walk different, talk different. Act, like, act, act in ways that I would not act. Act in ways that make my skin crawl. Yet I'm telling God they're not worth it. And this is what Jonah did. He was saying those people over there in Nineveh are notorious sinners. And I don't want to go over there. And I don't want to rub shoulders with them. I don't want to be seen with them. I don't want to walk with them. I don't want to talk with them. I despise them. And by fleeing the other direction, he was telling God, they ain't worth it. They ain't worth it. And what he's really upset about in all of this is that if I warn them as a prophet that judgment is coming, get this, and they do repent, I'm going to look like a false prophet. 
Think about that arrogance for a moment. If I bring the message, the life-changing message of God to them and say, if you'll turn from your wicked way, God will accept you. And they do it, it's going to make me look foolish. I will be embarrassed. Think about that. Souls hanging in the balance, yet we're too much about self-preservation to make a difference in the life of someone else. He's afraid that they will repent. He's afraid that they will turn because he understands that the promises of God are conditional based upon the hearer of the promise. He wants to run through the city and shout and scream, judgment is coming, then sit back and watch them burn. But God's heart is that none should perish. And it was that way in the Old Testament as well as the New. God is the God of all humanity. He loves all of his children, no matter where they are, what they're involved in, what they've put their hand to, and what messes they've made in their life. He wishes none would perish. So he finds himself in this rebellious condition because he doesn't want to do what God's called him to do because he doesn't want to appear as a false prophet. When you set yourself in direct opposition to God, get ready for a storm. When you set yourself in direct opposition of your heavenly Father, get ready because it's going to storm. Your life's going to get miserable. It's going to drive you nuts. You're going to wake up despising the world, everybody in it, and yourself. Ask me how I know. I've had some moments in my life when I did it my way. And let me tell you, it might have worked for Elvis Presley, but it sure didn't work for me. Might have worked, what was that other? Frank Sinatra, but it didn't work for me. The truth is, is that, as Pastor Colleen said, it didn't work for them either. You can't do it your way. You belong to God. And if you belong to God, you got to do it his way. You'll never be happy if you don't. You'll always be struggling if you keep bouncing between the two. Are you with me so far? So look at this. I was supposed to preach this last week, so you're getting last week's message. Pow! So when God sends a storm, it shakes everything and everyone. Because God won't stop shaking you. And if he's shaking you, he's going to shake everyone around you in your life. It's kind of like that old song Elvis sang, a whole lot of shaking going on. Just get ready. You're going to get shook. Look at your neighbor and say, are you being shook? Oh, come on now. Look at this. So 
When God sends a storm, it shakes everything and it shakes everyone. Why? Because God wants our attention. God wants us to repent and to return to what he's called us to do. Mm. But, you know, that might sound harsh, but that's not harsh. That is the mercy of God, that he would shake your world in order for you to not be lost in your world. He'll shake your world to pull you out of a place of rebellion so that your heart can return to him. He'll shake your world and mess with your comfort zone in order for you to come to him and make it right. Look at this. When God sends a storm, it shakes everything and everyone except the slumber of a hard-hearted person of rebellion. If you're hung up in deep rebellion, you're going to have to make up your mind. Because the word says there is none so blind as he who refuses to see. You can know the truth. But hold your position, I'm going to do what I want to do. And God will allow you to do that because you're a free moral agent. But you will be one of the most miserable people on the planet if you do. If you're the kind of person who's so blind and you refuse to see, that removes all innocence from the heart of rebellion because the person whose rebellion knows what he is doing. When the person who is in rebellion refuses to see, he has no innocence left in the situation because he chose to be in the situation and he knows what he is doing. In Jonah's case, the Lord sent the perfect storm. And that's the title of my message today, The Perfect Storm. Because you can be rebellious and be in a storm and never change. Or God can send a storm that's perfectly suited to cause you to find your heart of repentance again. Can you say amen to that? God, God has reached many souls in Jonah's time and in our time by chasing after that one hard-hearted rebellion person, rebellious person. Jonah learned a lesson that he'd never forget. If you remember, it says that God prepared a fish, and for three days and three nights he spent himself in the belly of a fish. Just recently, I had this all looked up and had it on my phone last week. I don't have it with me this, this week. But in 2021, a man that was fishing, I believe it was up in, it was, I know it was in the eastern state, who was lobster fishing at the bottom of the ocean, was picked up and swallowed by a whale. Now, people laugh. All these years, people have laughed and said that this story is impossible but this man is living proof 
that had happened in 2021. Look it up. Look it up. Uh, I know all of you fact checkers. Make sure you go out and check that out. It truly happened to a gentleman. Uh, and he said he was, wasn't in his mouth for too awful long, but he said he realized he thought he first got hit by a shark. All of a sudden he realized he was in the mouth of a, of a humpback whale. And it held him for a period of time and then came up and violently shook and shook him out and threw him out uh, into the water. And he spent a day or two kind of bruised up in the hospital. But uh, when it was all said and done, he shares with everybody his story now. And Jonah learned a lesson that he would never forget because his prayer closet held him captive until repentance came. Now think about that. God created a prayer room for him that wouldn't let him go until repentance came. It's either fall into repentance or die in this condition. The choice is yours. It was in Cape Cod. Thank you for to my fact checkers. What's his name? What's the gentleman's name? Michael Packard. Michael Packard was the gentleman's name that happened to. So let me finish up. I wish to God that God would allow prayer closets to hold us until we get our heart right. I wish to God that there would be more prayer closets that won't let us out until our heart is right before God. Because I don't want to end up at the end of my journey in God with a half-rebellious heart and attitude to find out that I didn't accomplish the things that God had set out for me in this life, and I'm showing up shorthanded. I don't want to be one of those who says, Lord, Lord, I did this, and I did that, and I did another thing, and I did all this wonderful stuff, only to find out that my heart was holding me away from God. After a little time in that prayer closet, three days, and repentance began to come, suddenly he was glad to fulfill his calling and his mission in the middle of this storm. And so God gave that fish a little irritation of the stomach, and whoop, here he came. I don't want to start my ministry uh, covered in vomit. I want to start my ministry because I heard the word of God and I trust him to just do what he's called me to do. But he surely must have been a very effective because scientists have, have long said that when he came out of there, if he'd have been in there three days, he would have been bleached white. And the, the scripture gives us the description that he had seaweed still wrapped around his head as he ran through the streets of Nineveh crying, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Can you imagine? I would believe if someone who looked like a ghost came in here and had seaweed wrapped around his head, I'd believe. Wouldn't you? So that brings me to where we want to end up today. How long have I held you past? I apologize. This is it, I promise. How long are we willing to do it our way? And not God's. 
Does God have to create a prayer room for us that won't let us go until we finally get it right? Or can we just get it right now? What if God asked me to do something hard? I have to check my heart daily. Will I do the hard thing for God? You know, when things begin to look prosperous, you see, you see the church, you see things that are happening that are good here. This is just a byproduct of the hard thing. What you see around here is the byproduct of starting with one. When we came to this city, there was one person who was willing to let us be their pastor. And you stay faithful with what God's asked you to do. And just when we thought we were comfortable, we finally got our income after having left the work the Lord had had us do years prior. We finally got comfortable, a place where she's making good money, I'm making good money, we're excited. And then the Lord says, with one congregant, the Lord says, I want you in here in two weeks. Yeah. And what was the rest of that? Yeah, say it. And if you don't, you won't like the consequences. That's what the Lord said. If you don't, you won't like the consequences. And I brought this to Colleen because it happened in, in a Sunday morning prayer session. I brought this to her, expecting her to say, boy, that ain't happening. We're just starting to make some skrilla here. This is becoming good. This is a fun thing. We're beginning to have a lifestyle again. And I brought, I brought it to her going, okay, Lord, I'll let her kill it, and then it won't be on me. <laughs> oh, you guys are so holy, you wouldn't do that. But I brought it to her, and I said, I said, well, I feel like the Lord said that I'm supposed to be here in the office in two weeks. And I braced, I scrunched up. You ever scrunched up? And she said, sounds like God to me. I, my, my chin hit the floor. Oh, what? That means no, that means once again, no security in our life. Once again, will the bills get paid? Once again. I was really kind of hoping for a no, if I'm honest. But she said, no, that sounds like, that sounds like God. So as a faith man would do, I went out that same afternoon and found a job selling cars in St. Joe that I could do both. I came home and told Colleen, and she goes, what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> and I knew right then and there, I don't think she's happy. I think Buttercup isn't being very buttery right now. And so... I had to call this guy. I'd already taken the drug test and everything. I had to call the guy who hired me and say, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I can't take the job. And we stepped in and we began to pastor. And this church grew exponentially overnight. Souls came in that 
we, we had never met, never knew. We did no advertising. We didn't do anything but just preach the gospel. And God began to do a mighty work. So here's what I want to bring to the table tonight, I'm, I, or today. I, I promise we're done. Are we willing to go where we do not want to go for Jesus? I'm talking to you, Passion Church. Are we willing to go after people God wants, even if they're unlovely? What if our evangelism looks nothing like what we've preconceived up to now? What if it's our evangelism is more around someone else's kitchen table or talking to our neighbor or loving that family member who needs a little extra love? What if our mission field was just to reach our neighbor and that was it? Would we feel that we did enough for God? Or are we hung up in the razzle-dazzle and the smoke and mirrors? What if God wants you to reach that one obstinate person that just pushes every button you got? Are you willing? Would that be enough if there was no fanfare, no hoopla, no band, no gathering place like this that we're in today. Jonah finally came to himself and did what God asked him to do. But in the very end of the story, he was mad because those people repented. He never did really learn the lesson. You see, I don't want my neighbors to go to hell. I don't want an obstinate person in my life to miss God just because they make life hard for me. What if you had no church as we know it today? Would you cease to evangelize? Would your experience with Christ go stale, lax, or dormant if we couldn't meet here? Or would you stop getting all your feeding from your leaders and nurture a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus on your own? I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that there's a perfect storm brewing. The, wor the world, like Nineveh, may be about its own thing, which is paganism. But it needs Christ in the worst way. And judgment's coming. But where are we, church? Are we poised for our mission? Or are we comfortable in our rebellion? The choice is ours. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for these patient people who have family gatherings and things they need to get to, but they stayed for the duration today. God, I know this message wasn't probably the most popular and probably not the most fun for a, a Father's Day. But it's a needed message, Father, because every so often I need a heart check.
every so often that I need to check my motives and my motivations. Every so often, Lord, I need to be challenged to understand that this is not about me in any way, shape, nor form. It's about you being able to work through me to help someone else. It's truly about me getting out of the way and stepping aside so that you can do your mission. That I have become your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece in this life. That every one of us, male, female, boy, girl, man, woman, every one of us have a sphere of influence that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the last thing it needs is timidity, a person who's too timid, or a person who's too prideful to carry out the mission for Christ. God, I want to check my heart today. Because I don't want it my way, I want it your way. I, doesn't, I don't think that it's the church has to go in every direction that I think it should go. I want it to go in every direction, Father, you think it should go. And I want to reach every hungry, hurting life. I want to be relevant. I want to be there in the moment when you need me most. That is our heart's cry today. That is our heart's cry. If that's your heart's cry today, would you raise your hand and agree with me? That is your heart's cry. I want to be everything God has called me to be, holding nothing back. Father, I thank you for these with their hands up. This is me. God, I want to be used in a powerful way. I want to be used like never before. I want to be instant when you ask me to do something, Lord, and not fight and not struggle and not become rebellious. With my hand up, God, I'm saying, here am I. I'm willing. Not just today, but all the days of my life. I am willing. I thank you, Lord, that those of us with our hand raised and our heart turned towards you, Father, will not get caught in a perfect storm. There's a storm coming upon society. There's a storm coming upon America. There's a storm coming that's going to need the church and all of us with a right heart, a right mind, a right attitude to be able to reach out with the hands of the Father and the heart of the Father to bring them in. And with our hand up, God, we say yes to your will and to your way.